Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Marsha Redman about presenting virtually with power. For more than 20 years, Marsha has taught executives and others how to have a more powerful presence when they speak. During the pandemic, she became the go-to expert teaching professionals how to fix their virtual presence so they can speak with confidence and engage powerfully to win clients, have impact, and own their niche. Marcia is a former practicing attorney and TV journalist. The through line in her career has been, there must be a better, faster way to do this. With practical, hands-on processes, she teaches lawyers and executives the speaking skills and fast messaging process they need for effective thought leadership. Married with twin daughters who just started college, Marsha lives in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. She was born and raised in Key West, Florida, and loves Cuban food and island vacations. Welcome, Marsha, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. Your through line is the mantra running in my head as well. There must be a better, faster way to do this. I had a friend, she asked me recently why I was closing my eyes as we were deplaning. And it's because I could not watch the inefficiency of people getting off, like how long it took them to get their bags as they're like spinning around in space as they're thinking about where their bag is. You know, it like made my shoulders bunch up to my ears um, because I'm just always looking for like more efficient, better ways of doing things. So um, I am I am with you in that sisterhood of that running as a mantra through our heads. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad there are at least two of us. Hopefully yes. we can we can continue making a difference in the various worlds that we live in. Uh, I bet we could find quite a few others to join us in our little club. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think uh, for me, coming from having practiced law and done those kinds of careers in you and financial services, I, I think we have a fair number of sisters and brothers uh, looking at the world in that way. Yes. Uh, for me, it really, I was putting together a bio, trying to make sense of my career, having done so many things in a number of industries. And that was the one literally the one through line that makes sense. And it's really been the thing that that has always intrigued me and engaged me and moved me forward, which is I can make this better. I can make this faster. Let me create a checklist or a template or a worksheet. Uh, you know, there's got to be a better way. Right. And I agree. And I think for a lot of our career and even parts of our life, it can be 
really wonderful to have that mantra. And then sometimes I have to hold my thoughts captive and say, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy the moment. It's not going to be the best or the most efficient way to do it, but I'll find beauty in other places. So um, for me, it's both a a wonderful thing about my personality, but can also be a bit of a thorn. So... (laughs) It can be a little distracting we're, it, when we're constantly uh, trying to optimize. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I can already tell, Mars, this is going to be fun. So as you talk about how to present and engage powerfully, I'm obviously going to be self-analyzing my own skills. So I'm going to try to turn off that in my head as we go through this. But in the process to always do better, is there a story that you maybe can kick us off with um, to talk about this topic? Yes, absolutely. And it, and it goes back to uh, a pivotal time in my career. I mentioned I've switched fields and roles a number of times. I was working as a TV news consumer reporter in a local TV market. And I noticed that the smarter the people were that I was interviewing, the worse their interviews were. And it really mystified me. And, you know, again, I wanted to optimize. I was trying to figure out what was going on. So I was interviewing a physician in Charlotte, North Carolina, about heat stroke during a heat wave. And it shouldn't have been that hard, but his responses were horrible. He was using medical terms, acronyms, and going in great depth about heat stroke details that no one wanted to know. And finally, it came to me. He had no idea who his audience was. He was responding to my questions as though he was speaking to other doctors. So Obviously, the big piece he missed was that as a professional, he needed to translate what he knew to make it interesting and understood by the audience he was communicating with. And that explained so much for me. And it actually led to me leaving the news business and starting uh, the business I still have now 23 years later, teaching communication skills to lawyers and other professionals. So, you know, helping them understand, number one, they need to know who their audience is. Absolutely. And I think you're being so kind to him as well, because I do think that not knowing your audience is, I think, a big piece of it. Sometimes people don't care who their audience is, you know, and they just want to appear smart. But so many of those things kind of work against them in being able to convey their message. Do you find that people are good at trying to understand their audience or do they just not know how to go about doing it? I think for many people, it's a question of awareness. If they realize that they need to think through primarily before they create content, before they get up to speak, who is my audience? What do they care about? What words do they understand? What's going to resonate with them? That's the first piece. Some people just don't think about it. They don't realize that suddenly they're in front of people that are not just like them. Or as you say, sometimes they don't care. Right. In that case, the next step is to help them understand what they're losing by not caring. Right. And also sometimes the jargon gets in the way of their ability to do that connection. And sometimes, especially younger in our careers, we want to sort of appear smart. So we want to use the big words and show what we know. And certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sure that runs rampant in the in the medical field as well. But are you able to help them with that sort of translation of the kind of jargon that may be, you know, very present in their everyday, but 
be able to, you know, make it accessible to audiences. Yes, absolutely. And that is a big piece of the work that I do. And, and for folks that are, you know, doing this on their own at home and in their office is to really think about using regular language, using bi regular business language without acronyms to resonate with the audience. Because as you say, one of the things that you miss out when you don't do that is you don't connect. Mm. And certainly for professionals at every level, our goal is to connect with our audience. And again, audience means whoever we're communicating with. For many of us, it's always an internal audience. But if we can't connect and be easy to communicate with, then folks don't want to work with us or we're not the ones they pick to stand up in front of clients, uh, whether internal or external. Right. For many of us, post-pandemic, presenting virtually is just part of our everyday sort of fabric of how we're doing our jobs. But can you define for us what presenting virtually with power actually means? Sure. So the goal here, as we've been talking about, is to come across virtually so that we look and sound professional and also we connect on video. So virtually is equivalent to video. I'm hoping that, you know, we all have our cameras on when we're the ones who are talking. And as we move forward, we're going to need to do that as well in the hybrid situation. So virtual is when everyone is virtual and hybrid is when some of us are together in a room and others are joining virtually. And the reason this matters so much is one, this is the new paradigm, and I believe it will not change. And two, there's still a moment where there is a first mover advantage for those of us who really embrace these skills and do what it takes to become very good at connecting virtually. We can take market share. We can compete with competitors that maybe were out of our range before because so many people don't recognize that this new skill is so important in our future in business and no one can avoid it. No one can say, ah, I'm not going to turn my camera on. It doesn't matter that I don't have light on my face. It doesn't matter that I don't look at the camera and make eye contact. I'm just going to be me. So how do you help our listeners take advantage of this first mover advantage? So, you know, what are some practical steps that they can use the next time they're looking to present virtually? Yes, absolutely. So three things are super important. The first one is eye contact. You can't get away from it. You need to actually look at the camera. And I recommend that as you look at the camera, you imagine that you're talking to one friendly person. This is what I was taught in broadcast television school decades ago, and it works really well in this scenario as well. So you're looking right at the camera. One thing that can help so that you can glance down at slides or glance down at notes is to be about an arm's length or a little bit more away from the camera. And the camera has to be at eye level. So the benefit here, and the reason why this is number one on my list, is if you look like a talking head, so think of you know someone on TV news, some expert that appears on video of some kind, they're framed from the lower chest up, they have a little bit of headroom, they're in the middle of the screen, you can read their expression because they have good lighting. That talking head image brings with it a presumption of authority, confidence, and knowledge. And so if we can present that same visual, which includes eye contact, then we're able to borrow that perceived confidence and authority. So that's really the underlying element of why this matters so much, why we want to look professional on video. So eye contact is number one. 
Can I pause you on that for a second? So you sure. said arm length to the camera. So I'm like actually stretching out my arm right now to kind of like figure out where my where my camera would be on my computer as I present. Because again, it's running through my head as to whether I'm doing this well. Um, but you said that would be a good distance if you actually have notes and other places you need to glance at. So where do you suggest that someone put their notes or other sort of collateral that they may have during the course of the meeting? Yes. So my best piece of advice, and I've worked this out over the last couple of years, helping lawyers do trials and hearings and things like that, put bullets, not full sentences, put bullets on a text document, make that skinny and tall and push it up right under the webcam. And so the benefit of that, you don't want a wide document because people will see your eyes going back and forth. You want a, a narrow document and push it up under the webcam, but please use bullets. We don't want full sentences because you'll sound like you're reading. And so bullets under the webcam are your best approach. On Zoom, there are settings where you can actually keep your screen real estate. You can scooch slides and maybe one or two little video boxes of other people. You can fit both of those up under the webcam so that you're keeping an eye on your audience and you're still able to see your slides or your notes. Oh, excellent practical advice. Thank you on that. So number two. Yes. Number two, energy. So when we're communicating virtually or in a hybrid scenario, it's super easy to lose our audience. And it's really easy for us as speakers to feel flat and disconnected because most of us still have that paradigm of communicating in person where we can read the body language of our audiences. So the most important thing to know here is that the way we project energy and the way we connect with our audience virtually, besides eye contact, is your voice. So if you know what it takes to have a great phone voice, you're set. You just need to use it. So the way I tend to define that is a warm tone. You might want to think of that as being conversational, having a variation in pitch. So using your voice as though you're speaking to someone who's friendly mm -hmm. and using that voice to really project your energy and connect with your audience. And then the other things that we would normally see around voice, which for women are sometimes particular issues around pitch, around pace, whether we speak too quickly, uh, whether we trail off at the end, all of those things, of course, have an impact virtually in an equal way as they do when we're in person. That makes a ton of sense. All of those things, the pitch, the pace, the variation in that pitch, the warm tone, I, I love it. And I hope folks are jotting these things down. That's great. Yes, absolutely. And then the third one is, as we mentioned at the top, knowing your audience. And so for me, again, aiming at women, pick topics that are going to resonate for you and resonate with your audience. If you ever get to choose which topic you speak to, and hopefully if you're doing thought leadership, if you're out there in the world speaking on topics to build your practice or build your business, think first, what thing is going to have the most impact on my core audience in the next three to six months? And what can I speak to about that issue that will lead to business for my practice or my business? So really thinking about what will have the most impact on my audience, because that will get them to listen and to stick with you through the presentation. So Thinking about impact on the audience is the most important thing to do if it's possible to choose your topic. And then the second piece of audience, uh, as we talked about earlier, is using the language that resonates with them 
and giving them background information and examples that help them to understand what you're talking about. And for many of us in financial services, in law, in business, our topics are complex. And for that reason, we need to be very careful in the language we use and make sure we start with examples to get everyone on the page at the same time. Makes me think a little bit about the episode we did with uh, Mona Nakvi recently on Media 101. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for folks if you want to listen to it next. But she told a story about having to vamp in front of a large audience and you know, the speaker wasn't coming out and she kept doing a drum roll and the speaker didn't come out and she had to, you know, tell a few stories and a few jokes and probably just a few minutes felt like a couple of hours up there. But one of the things she did that, you know, really stuck with me is that she took a poll of the audience and got some dramatic results off that poll. And what comes to mind with know your audience is that in order to understand what the poll question should be, how to phrase it, and to assure that she had engagement, she really had to know her audience, right? You know, so if she was going to throw out some question, but people didn't resonate with it, didn't really understand, she wouldn't have gotten participation. And it probably would have been even more sort of humiliating up there to, you know, to not be connecting. So the know your audience is so important, even when things aren't going in your presentation the way that you hope that they would, you know, you get interrupted or someone isn't coming on, you know, next, or someone asks a question, being able to know your audience and how to respond um, when the bullets aren't in front of you are, are pretty dramatically important. Absolutely. And, and research is always the first step. If you are presenting for a conference or a roundtable or something like that, get that information, ask the organizers, ask your own company if they're the organizers, go on websites, uh, try to talk. I always recommend try to talk to people in the actual audience beforehand. So even if it's a virtual conference, you can always attend other sessions, kind of make friends through the chat, do things like that so that you're connecting uh, with real people to find out what they're interested in, to get a sense of who they are and what they know. Right. Considering this is We Talk Careers podcast and it's all about women in ETFs is a large part of our audience, although now we we have quite a global audience of, of many different backgrounds, but certainly a lot of women that listen. Are there specific advice or considerations for women when it comes to virtually presenting? I know you mentioned about variation in pitch and, and things about voice, but is there other things that women should keep in mind as they're doing this well? Yes, absolutely. A big part of my work is with women in professional services, and it is where my heart is. I love supporting women. We all had our experiences coming up in the places where, where we've all worked, and to be able to lend a hand and to give advice gives me a huge smile, always. So the first thing, women, we need to be concise and organized. The thing to know is concision, uh, being concise in our communication brings with it the perception of authority and confidence. And because so many people buy into old, wrong research that says women talk more than men do, it's not true. But the good news is women get an extra benefit when we're concise and organized, when we present with structure. And so uh, on the one hand, it's the most effective way to communicate complex information, to be concise, to be organized. And secondly, I think it's more noticeable because it, it seems to fly in the face of expectation with some people. And so, of course, what that means for me is a template 
uh, a messaging worksheet so that we start with our point and then we give a few pieces of detail and hopefully we include an example. So in many cases, we've all been taught the scientific method, right? Proof, 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 conclusion. Do not do that anymore. You're much more effective, especially in this virtual and hybrid environment, saying, here's my conclusion, here's my point, here are a few details, here are the steps. That's my number one bit of advice uh, for women. Of course, it works for men too, but I think for women, it's that much more important because it gives us more benefit. Yeah, I, I just want to pause on that. I think that's so good and advice that's really portable because I think even in a conversation, whether it be virtual or in person, the idea of being concise, you know, having a point, giving a detail, maybe giving an example and then stop talking, <laughs> um, I think is really important as we think about how we're perceived, but also what the expectation is that you know, women talk too much or women talk more, which I absolutely agree is such a fallacy with so many of instances in my life where working with men and women, I think we can equally <laughs> talk as much. Um, so I, I love just the very practical nature of being concise and organized. Thank you for that. You bet. And to hit on something you said, which, which is a good thing to mention, the notion of saying your point, giving your couple of details, and then stopping. Silence is powerful. When we pause intentionally and we look at our audience it brings with it a great level of gravitas and confidence. And so for many of us as women, and particularly more junior in our career, we need to use silence with intention because it immediately creates an impression of, of that authority and confidence and gravitas. When we're uncomfortable or nervous, we talk quickly and we tend not to stop. And so make your point, let it land, pause until it hurts, and then give your first detail. So a little, a little bit of, of drama, uh, perhaps, but it's very effective because people who are confident speak that way. People who are not confident, don't pause, don't breathe, and often talk really quickly. And so we, we hurt ourselves by not putting that into action, regardless of how we feel. Uh, deliver it like an actor. And you can make a huge difference just applying it a little bit, you know, saying, here's my key point. I'm going to say this sentence, I'm going to pause for three seconds, and then I'm going to say, now, let's apply it, and then I'll go ahead and give my steps. So just putting that into place now on a consistent basis can make a real difference in the way you're perceived, and it will help you to feel like you're more confident and like you have more authority. It might give people a real incentive to record themselves, right? Because that's always the advice people give. But it's always like, ah, you know, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just practice it a few times. But practicing that sort of pregnant pause, like practicing the making your point land and then waiting to make your next sentence, how long that is, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, sort of getting into that spot. I don't think you can do that well unless you actually record yourself and you listen back to, you know, this drama you're creating. Absolutely. And a thing you can do is record yourself for real. So when you're doing a virtual call or you're doing a communication over the phone, record just your side of the conversation uh, to be safe, only your side of the conversation. And then later you can listen to it and hear how you're coming across. 
makes all the difference in the world. So the second thing I want to say, still on this specific advice for women, be careful of non-words or phrases that give away your power. Things mm. like sort of, kind of, just. These words, we're giving it away and we don't want to do that. And so again, record yourself here if you're saying that and list a friend who's a colleague to keep an eye on it for you and you can do it for her or him as well. It can make a huge, huge difference in how you're perceived and how much weight people give to what you say. Because if you say, for example, I have a plan that sort of uh, will do such and such. Well, you just, they don't believe you now because you said sort of. And these are giveaways. We all do it, but you want to be aware of it in those crucial sentences, when you're delivering recommendations, when you're delivering findings, junior folks, when you're reporting back on research or due diligence that you've done, you want to make sure that the statements are very spare, no sort of kind of allowed. Great. Oh, that's, that's really good advice. So many of our listeners are executives. They run large teams. They're angling for better exposure for their people. What communication skills should they be teaching their professionals? Like what topics should be top of mind right now for helping their teams get better at this? Sure. So for more senior people that are looking uh, at their juniors, there are standard topics, of course. One workshop that I'm having a lot of success for lately is about how to be concise and make your message stand out. And so that teaches exactly that piece we were talking about, of using a messaging template and using specific strategies to make the important message stand out among the complexity that many of us still have to deliver because we're talking about complex topics. And then uh, sometimes for more senior people, impromptu speaking or how to be good on your feet. Although I find folks at every level get a lot out of that topic. Being able in the moment to give an organized and concise answer when you weren't expecting to have to speak to a particular topic. And then for more senior people, virtual pitching, which is really hard, virtual and hybrid pitching. And again, for people that are doing thought leadership living in the world of professional services, how to talk about your practice or your business line and feel comfortable. I love those topics. The impromptu speaking, I think, would be so helpful. We had a recent episode on faking it till you make it. And she was talking about practicing impromptu speaking, you know, at weddings or at other places where you just sort of get comfortable with the idea of being able to explain the topic, not droning on, being able to listen and feedback words. Um, and so I, I love that. I think there's, there's a lot that folks can learn as they think about how they speak on topics that they're not expected to speak on. So love it. So not only are we the ones presenting virtually, sometimes we need to be participants as well. Um, and I, and this is important. Um, I know that I, I was watching recently my daughter who's in graduate school now and she had a, a Zoom call on and and they had the two presenters on camera and like everybody else had their camera off. <laughs> and, you know, a few people are in the chat, but not much. And it's this long presentation. And I was like, wow, you know, is, is this usually how it is? And she's like, no, no, you know, this isn't class. This is, you know, something I'm doing just to kind of gain knowledge in a certain area. But I thought, oh, there's got to be a better way. And I felt so bad for those presenters that, you know, are trying to be engaging. So do you have advice for us as 
participants on virtual meetings of, of how to show up well? Absolutely. And uh, I have advice for before, during, and after. Uh, so beforehand, when you log in, if things are live, even though it's not your meeting, you're not the speaker, it's great to start acting like a host. Start chatting with people, turn your camera on, uh, engage in the chat or engage by voice if that's possible so that you're connecting with others and ask questions like, what drew you to attend this? You know, what are you interested in hearing? What question do you want answered? So that you're reading and gathering information about others who are there as well. So you're making friends and you're warming up the audience for the speakers. You're getting things going. And then have questions. So you, if there's a separate Q&A from the chat, put questions in. If the speakers see right off the bat that they already have questions, it helps them to focus their content and it will help them to feel a lot less nervous. I guarantee it. And if they ask for questions by voice, go ahead and do it. It's a wonderful way to let them engage and to raise your profile a little bit as well. And then once it's over, you can always connect and follow up with the speakers or other people that you connected with during the presentation. And finally, if you're excited about the topic, if it's an area that is in line with your own interests or with your business, you might want to promote the topic on social media if it's appropriate or just speak about it. Hey, I'm attending a workshop or a speech on this topic. I'm excited for this reason. And maybe tag uh, the speakers if you can, because you know, you're know you doing the world good and you're telling the world, these are the topics I'm interested in. These are the topics I know about. And it lets you connect on many levels. Thank you for those reminders. And I really do hope that we see more of that I think that folks can become quite complacent in these presentations and both in terms of making it a better experience for the presenter, but also being able to try out some of these skills while not having to be in the hot seat, I think is, is such a good reminder. So Marsha, how can they find out more about some of these things that you're talking about? I, I know you're, you're in this space and you've been so helpful to, to a number of firms, but you know, how can our listeners find out more? Yes. So the easiest way is to go to my website. And my website is my first name. So it's Marsha.com, M-A-R-S-H-A. If you have a question you want to you want to ping me, you can always email me. And my email is equally easy, Marsha at Marsha.com. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. Amazing. Okay. Funny story. The first time I got on the internet, the reason I got on was I heard that if you went on this internet thing, you could buy your name. So I bought my name. So many other things I should have bought, like law.com or lawyer.com. No, I bought Marsha. <laughs> yeah. That's um, the other, yeah. The other thing, um, I do have a checklist on virtual presenting. So you can go to the website presencetips.com, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E tips.com. Wonderful. And we have something called a Thrive Guide that we update with advice from our guests. And so we'll be putting those connections, as well as some of the very pithy advice that you um, gave us over the course of this podcast. Thank you so much. So we have made it so quickly <laughs> to the last question that I always ask, but it's about a recommendation on a book you're reading. Um, we have so many literary fans of the show, and we are sort of building a virtual bookcase of the many recommendations. So do you have one for our listeners? I did. And this was the hardest thing I had to prepare for because I've got about 20 books I recommend to people, but <laughs> I made the hard choice. And of course, this is a book that helps you do things better. 
It's called The Book of Beautiful Questions. And the author is Warren Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. So this book, it sounds kind of boring and like, oh, yeah, I know how to ask questions. It's fabulous. And so it helps you connect with other people. It helps you deal with difficult conversations. Uh, It helps you deal with people yelling at you. And it also, I'm flipping through it now, it also helps you to motivate yourself to figure out why you're here and what your contribution to the world is. It's just an amazing book. Wow, that does sound amazing. And I think just the idea of being able to ask the next right question is pretty important. Um, I feel like especially in this day and age, the pausing and actually listening to what someone just said and, and asking a clarifying question is so important. Who introduced you to this book or did you just run across it yourself? I ran across it uh, in the course of creating a new workshop. Uh, Mm. So for me, you may have guessed looking at my crazy career that the things I learned as a broadcast journalist really came up for me in good ways and bad ways when I was practicing law. And then later, as I've been working to help people communicate more effectively. And so having been a reporter before I was a lawyer, the very core of my being is about asking questions. Uh, if my parents were still here, they would tell you I never stopped asking questions. And and I know that that is the key, as you were saying, the key to our professional lives and our personal lives, asking good questions, listening to the answers, asking great follow-up questions. It's really what drives our personal discovery. And I think it's the key to finding our path to being able to make our own unique contribution, which is what's driven me to change my career, what, four times in Mm. 40 years? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's questions. Questions lie at the base of all of it. Well, I think you might have just introduced a new podcast topic. So thank you for that. You definitely have me quite intrigued on how we can all get better at that. Thank you so much, Marsha. This has been such an enlightening and just interesting conversation. I appreciate you so much being willing to come on the show. Oh, thank you, Christine. I wish we had another half hour. Me too. Me too. Thanks again. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.